Well, good morning. And morning to you all who are joining us online as well. It's great to see many people here with us today. I know that there are some who are starting to vacation in this wonderful weather and are especially taking up campsites. I talked to a lot of people who are planning or actively regularly camping. Uh, as you know me a little bit, you know that's not a pleasure that I share with you. <laughs> but hey, if that's, that's how I enjoy your summer, blessings to you as you do that. Well, uh, one of the most common questions that I get asked as a pastor, and you probably guessed what this might be, is what is God's will for my life? Especially during seasons of transitions, like where we find ourselves right now, for example, at summertime, where some people have just graduated from high school or from college, and they're thinking, well, what's, what's the next step for me? What's the next school? What's a, the next employment opportunity? As we find ourselves in the summertime, it's also wedding season. And so people ask that question in terms of, well, who should I marry, and, and when should I marry them? We also find that quite often people tend to retire during kind of this time of year. And so even during times of retirement, there's a season of transition where people ask, well, for this particular season of my life, where should I retire? And what does purpose of my life look like in the midst of retirement? It's probably a question that you've asked at some point, maybe even multiple times in your life. What is God's will for my life? I know it's a question I personally have asked as well, so I can understand the sentiment that goes behind that question. And as I've asked that question of friends and and family, I've asked it of mentors and pastors, I've received various levels of help on on how to answer that question. For example, I wasn't always a pastor. See, this is my second career, actually. My first career, I was in sales and management in a wholesale meal supply company in central British Columbia. And in that role, I was in it for a number of years, we had pretty good success. Number of large sales, promotions on a regular basis throughout the years, bonuses, receiving awards. But in the midst of all of that, I just wasn't fulfilled. There was just something that was lacking. There was a sense of peace that was missing within myself that tormented me sometimes to the point of driving me to my knees. And this this conflict within myself, it, it, it was because I knew I was created for something else than what I was doing. Even though I was having success from the worldly standards, from, from people looking on, people even coming to me and going, Mark, I, I want to have what you have. And I think to myself, you only see part of the equation. There's this inner turmoil that exists still as well. Because what is God's will for my life? Now, I had a pastor and a mentor that I was processing this with at the time, and, and he would ask me questions, and I would answer those questions, and then he would listen to me talk about it and explain, and he would listen to me do a lot of complaining. And with his help, I reached a point where I was finally able to take that inner conflict, and over a gradual period of time, over some steps, I actually found some peace. Because I came to know how God was leading me according to what his will was. But I'll come back to that later. For now, I want to focus upon this role that peace plays in discerning God's will. You see, often the feeling of peace is what's presented as an indication of whether or not you are in God's will. And actually this past week as I was studying, I came across the story of of an author and a theologian who tells his story of, of when he was in college and he would go for coffee with a professor, and this almost is similar to mine. He would go for coffee with a professor and he would ask the professor, what, how do I figure out, what, how do I come to know what God's will is for my life? 
And this professor of theology would share with him a model that is common. Perhaps if you ask somebody of that question, they've shared a model with you similar to what this professor shared with this future theologian. And this is what he told him. He said, if you have a desire and you have an opportunity to fulfill that desire and there is peace in the midst of it, that's God's will. As you look at that formula, there's aspects of it that I can tell you right now, without even going any further. I can tell you right now, there are some sound theological aspects of that formula. Overall, it seems to have some logic. You may even be looking at it nodding your head, going, yes, I can see how that could be helpful. Especially if you are in a sense of competing opportunities, where, let's say, for example, you have a desire, but you have more than one opportunity to fulfill that desire. You have, do I choose door number one, or do I choose door number two? And according to this, the deciding factor would be, well, which one do you have more peace about? And then to support this, quite often people will quote a verse like Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, that says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And so all of a sudden, we have a logical-sounding formula backed up by Scripture. Now, if you're trying to consider one versus two options, this verse, as it's presented, is suggesting that the one in which you have peace is the way that you should go. You ever heard this? Maybe thought of this? Somebody shared this with you before? Okay. Now, I'm not going to completely deconstruct it all. There's aspects of it that are very sound, okay? But it's true that God will give us desires and opportunities, but there's truth in that. There's also truth that God's peace can, at times, be an indicator of his presence, of of his power, and, and even sometimes of his will. But I don't think I need to work very hard up here to convince you that our feelings can be fickle. True? That sometimes our feelings can be untrustworthy. How many of us find ourselves in the camp, the same camp that I find myself in every year, where there's a period of time where we love the Oilers? Right? Start of the season. We pay like buku bucks for tickets and merchandise. And then what happens? The playoffs hit, right? And we pack it all up, and we stick it in the top shelf, and we go, never again. Never again will I do that. September's coming, October's coming, and we know we're going to do it again. Our feelings can be fickle. How many of us found ourselves in wintertime longing for the days where we could put on some shorts, go to the park, enjoy the warmth of summer, go camping, and then we get a week of plus 40, and we're just wishing somebody would hit us with a snowball, right? You see, the similar problem happens in our life as we walk with Jesus, That if feeling peace is the way that we discern God's will, how many of us, let me ask you this, how many of us feel peace when we are in an opportunity to share our faith with our neighbor? How many of us experience peace when we have to stand up in the marketplace for Christian values? When we have to work hard to restore a relationship? When we need to speak up in the classroom? Do we feel peace when we're in a restaurant and we're thinking, should I pray for my meal or not? Are people watching me or not? How many of us feel peace when we have the opportunity to invite somebody to watch West Meadows at home with that little button that shows up in the comment box? How many of us feel peace when a name comes to mind and because of the lack of peace, we don't hit that button? We don't stand up in the marketplace. We don't speak up. 
You see, people in moments such as these do not experience peace. They, they quite often experience tension. But I think we would all agree in that list of examples I just gave you, those are God's will for his people. And so as we can see, it seems that this verse might be misquoted in the way that it's being used. This verse was misquoted when it's used to position peace as the determinant factor in what is God's will. But I want you to know this. There is a connection between God's peace and his will. But before I get to the God's will part, let's start by understanding what this verse actually is talking about. As we mentioned last week, when we're looking at verses that are misquoted sometimes, context is king. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul, the context here is that Paul is giving instructions to the church in Colossae on how to live out their faith in Jesus Christ. And his argument basically is this, that since you are saved and made new by Jesus Christ, you've received that incredible gift from Jesus, strive to fully experience and honor the new life that you have in Christ. And one way that you can do that, as he will go on to talk about in Colossians, is you can do it by avoiding the old ways of life. Avoiding the things that are contrary to God's will and contrary to God's character. That's what we call sin. Things that are contrary to God's will and character. But then in addition to that, we don't just avoid things, we need to do things as well. We also need to allow his character, allow his will to impact every aspect of our lives. That means we don't just avoid the bad things. It means we got to do the good things. The things that we do, think, and say need to be impacted by the character and will of God. And the solution to how we do this is found in part of Colossians excuse me, chapter 3, where he talks about how do we do this? Well, he says that they as individuals, but more importantly, they as a community can live out these positive attitudes and characteristics of Jesus in their lives and in their fellowship. And he lists eight of these different characteristics that are very reminiscent of the fruits of the Spirit that he'll share in Galatians with the church in Galatia. And things like kindness, compassion, humility, patience, forgiveness, peace, and the list goes on. Those attributes, those characteristics are to be the basis of their character. It's to be the basis of what binds them together as a community, as a church. And now with that in mind, with that context in mind, as we look at the entire verse of Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. See, if we're able to understand what's being talked about here, we need to understand it in a communal sense. And be able to understand what does it mean, the peace of Christ? What role does that play in our lives? And if we understand that, I think we'll start to understand the connection between peace and God's will. So I'll briefly define this for you. You see, this peace of Christ, this idea of peace in the New Testament is built upon the Old Testament word for peace, which is shalom. Now, that can be understood in a few different ways. In the Old Testament, the word shalom could be used as a greeting. It could be used to, to welcome somebody, kind of a blessing as you come into fellowship or come to a meal with them. And it's basically expressing that you wish for them to have wholeness of life, that they would prosper in, in health and in success, that shalom, peace be with you, a wholeness in life. That's one way that it gets used. The other way is probably a little more common for us. The other way is when we talk about peace being devoid of conflict, where we have 
contentment in harmony in the place of conflict. When the world is just going perfectly for us, right? When family's happy, I got accepted into the right school, the test came back negative, the bills are all paid, peace. We feel a peace, a contentment within ourselves. But the New Testament understanding of peace builds upon this. It, it takes this idea of, of the absence of conflict, but takes it a step further. It's not just about the absence of conflict. It's about being made right between two parties. There's a distinction there, isn't there? You can have peace between two parties and not be made right with them. You can just choose to tolerate them. You can choose to say, oh, it's not going to fight anymore. And have peace. But this is a step beyond that. This is a step beyond to saying it is being made right between two parties. Whether it be nation to nation, person to person, or in this case, and how it's often used in the New Testament, between a person and God. See, a New Testament understanding of this word peace is a tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation in Christ, and content in its earthly lot. Whatever that lot may be. And we see this in the promise that Jesus gave in John chapter 16, where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will experience conflict. You will experience a lack of external peace. But then if you finish that verse in John chapter 16, he says, but in me, in Jesus Christ, you will have peace. Peace will exist in the midst. Inner peace can exist in the midst of external conflict. See, this is the promised peace of Jesus Christ. Not peace in the world, but the peace of Jesus Christ within our hearts, which is what will rule, is to rule in our hearts. And that word rule, it's actually kind of like a sports term. That word rule is similar to how we would understand a baseball umpire who calls you safe or calls you out. And basically what Paul is saying here is let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So as followers of Jesus Christ, when the world calls you out, when your thoughts say you're out of here, when the enemy calls you out, three strikes and you're out, the peace of Jesus ruling in your heart amidst the chaos says, in me, you're safe. Does that make sense? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. When all the things out there say, you're out of here, the peace within says, you're safe. And according to Colossians chapter 3, not only can a person experience this as a follower of Christ, but this is what is to be experienced within the body of Christ, within the church that bears his name. And so we are to strive to encourage, to support, and to restore other followers within the body through love, patience, and humility. Therefore, peace is not necessarily a sign of God's will. Rather, peace is to characterize the people of God's will. Did you catch that? You see, peace is not necessarily a sign of God's will. Peace is to characterize the people of God's will. So there is a connection here between peace and God's will. Before we get to the God's will part, we need to understand the peace part. And the reason being is because God's will can be divided up into three types with three different ways that we experience peace. These are sometimes referred to as three different callings. And as I go through the three very quickly, these will probably not be new to some of you, but probably new language to some of you. 
So let me show you what I mean, this connection between God's will and God's peace. The first type of calling that exists is referred to as our highest calling. And basically this is summarized in 1 Timothy 2.4 and other parts of the Gospels as well, where this is basically God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the saving trust in Jesus as their Savior. That is God's highest calling for all people of all times of all places, to come to know him through Jesus, to make Jesus the Savior of their lives. And when a person responds to this highest calling, they find themselves at peace with God through Jesus. Does that make sense? Connection between calling and peace. They find themselves at peace with God. And then there's the common calling where we live out our relationship that we've entered into with Jesus. And Jesus talked about this in John chapter 14, 23, when he says, anyone who loves me will obey my commands. And so the common calling for all followers of Jesus Christ, as it's revealed in Scripture, as it's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, is to know and grow in our awareness of Jesus' teachings, of his commands, of the instructions he gives to us, and not just in the Gospels, but in other parts of the New Testament, for example, in Paul's teachings in Colossians chapter 3. And if we can grow in our knowledge and application of this common calling, then we can find ourselves at peace with one another under Jesus who is the Lord. This is what we refer to as lordship, following, obeying, the walking in step with Jesus. And we find that when we do that, we're at peace with God, and we can be at peace with one another. Make sense so far? And then there's a third one, which is referred to as the specific calling. Built upon Ephesians 2, chapter 10, which confirms this, where it says that God created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. This is quite often what people mean when they ask the question, what is God's will for my life? When they're trying to resolve that inner turmoil and conflict within themselves by answering that question, when they're trying to find peace within themselves because they don't feel like they're, they're, they're following what God has created them for, this is quite often what they're referring to, is this specific calling. And quite often it's expressed and tried to be lived out in areas of work, life, marriage, households, uh, church, retirement, all these different transitional seasons of life. And when we can resolve this particular calling, we find ourselves at peace, inner tranquility, with Jesus as we live our lives in the world in service of Jesus. So here's what I need you to know as we consider these three callings. That if you are trying to calm a restlessness within yourself because you're trying to resolve this third part, what is God's will for my life? What is my specific calling? Here's what I need you to know. If you feel like God's will is mysterious, like it's hidden, like God's playing a guessing game with you, like remember that game you play with kids sometimes, Go Fish? You ever played that guessing card game, Go Fish? God, should I marry Mr. Right now or wait for Mr. Right? Go Fish. God, should I uh, leave my job in business and go be a pastor? If your name's not Mark, go fish. God, should I buy a cat? Go fish. No one should buy a cat, right? <laughs> if you feel like it's a mystery, if it's being hidden from you, if you're trying to figure out and calm those restlessness within yourself, here's what I need you to know. 
is that it's not as mysterious as you think. But there's a process to it. You see, first, we need to resolve our highest and our common calling. First. See, when you respond to your highest calling, you make Jesus the Savior of your life. When you respond to the common calling, he becomes the Lord of your life. And through this process, the Holy Spirit enters into into your life and into yourself, and it starts to transform you. It starts to do a work in you. And this is what Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2 says, is do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Basically, once you accept the gift of forgiveness and become a follower of Christ, basically making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you will then be learning to obey, to follow through prayer and through Bible reading. You'll be learning more about how God works in you and through you in the world around you. And as God transforms you into that new person, he changes the way you think. He changes the way you act, the way that you perceive him and the world around you, and you'll begin to see with new eyes. You'll be able to understand God's will better because you become more familiar with God and how he moves in the world around you. I'll give you a brief example. If we have a small child who's playing with a ball on the lawn and the ball rolls out into the street, at one eight stage in that child's development, they are just going to run after that ball into the middle of the street and be in terrible danger. But as the child gets a little bit older, and as the child knows their father better, is taught and instructed and sees the example of their father better, because they know him better and his will better, when the ball rolls into the street, they won't race out. They'll stop. They'll go, my father's will is that I ask for help. Instead of chasing into the street into danger, they'll say, my father's will is that I wait for the traffic to stop. And then... I go get it. The same thing can happen in our understanding of God. If you want to know God's specific will for yourself, it starts with knowing God and how he works in the world and in your life around you. But the second thing I need you to know is that while there's a progression to this, it goes from his highest will to his common will, and then you'll be equipped to understand his specific will. The second thing I need you to understand is that it's actually not that mystical. But sometimes we're looking for the wrong thing. You see, quite often we're looking for God to reveal the whole story to us. Tell me your whole will, God, and then I can decide. But quite often he reveals it to us one step at a time. See, getting back to my story a little bit that I can share with you, I knew that I was called to ministry. I also, a little sidebar on this, if you feel that you're called to ministry, learn from my mistake and make sure you tell your spouse that before you get married to them. (laughs) That's another story for another day. But (laughs) share that with them before you get married, not after you get married. (laughs) But I knew I was called to ministry, but I was stuck. Why? Because here's how I processed it. Lord, before I take a step in that direction, give me the whole story. I knew I was called to ministry, but I was like, God, I I will do the ministry thing, but I will not be a pastor. Counselor, chaplain, I can get on board with that. But I will not be a pastor. God just said, just, just walk. Just keep walking. So I did. So I took steps. And I, and I went to school and I got into a ministry role. And then I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'll be a pastor. But I'm not going to preach. 
I'm going to be like that evening pastor, the guy who does like small groups, who does teaching in the classroom, mentoring people, counseling. That, but I'm not going to preach. Just keep walking. So I reached a point where I was like, okay, fine, I'll preach. But I'm not going to be that Sunday morning, smiley, plastic, happy person that, that I see on TV all the time. And he kind of said to me, I, I didn't call you to that. I called you to be you, but to be a pastor who preaches as you. Not your imitation of what you think I've called you to. You see, in my life and in others, in God's wisdom, he only reveals what we need to know sometimes. And what do we need to know at minimum? The next step. And sometimes God's will seems mysterious because we want the whole story. But I know from my own testimony that if I knew the whole story, if I knew that at, 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 at a section along the road I would be on the platform preaching regularly as the lead pastor at West Meadows, I never would have left where I was. And in God's wisdom, he simply called me and said, just take one step. And then I'll show you the next one. And then I'll show you the next one. If I knew it all, I wouldn't have moved in the first place. So it all boils down to this question. What's that one step that God is asking you to make? If you have responded to his highest calling, if you are working at responding to his common calling, that means that God is at work and moving in you and through you and around you. And that's what you need to be discerning in order to understand what that step of faith looks like. And so let me help you now. The last thing I want to cover before we're done today is I want to help you understand how can you discern what that first step may look like so that you can find that peace within yourself as well. And it's built upon the understanding, the assumption that God is working and moving within his people. And the first thing you can look to is this, is your passions. You see, when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, he gave you new desires. He gave you new eyes and a new heart to see people in the world around him. And with that comes new desires. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about this, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So here's the question for this first category. Since becoming a follower of Christ, what new passions have built up within you? What problems do you feel like God is calling you to solve? What situations do you find yourself in where you have a passion to serve? What is it in your life that you just long to share with other people? And you'll find that this has an opportunity to be expressed within the church, within ministry context, but beyond that as well. You see, God calls people not just to be pastors and missionaries, but he also calls them to be teachers and plumbers and accountants and construction workers and moms and dads. Those are all callings that God has upon people's lives as well. It's not just big ministry things like, like being, an, being an elder or being a pastor or being a missionary. Sometimes it's just being called to your place in the world to serve him the way he's equipped you and impassioned you. I, I know a couple who they feel called, their ministry in the church that they feel called to is washing dishes. Of all the things. Who would have picked that for a passion? But it's a passion with them to the point where if they don't get first right or refusal to wash dishes at an event, they feel almost offended. That's of God. <laughs> like, like a, I don't know who naturally has a desire to wash dishes. That's a passion they have within them. 
So since becoming a follower of Christ, what passions have built up in you? They will not always be big, but they are all needed. And they come from being a new creation, new purpose, new abilities, new passions. And the second one is this, is that when we enter into community, God brings godly people into our lives as well. And as we journey with these people, they have the opportunity to encourage us and to call out God's gifts and blessings within us that they see in us. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as, in fact, you are currently doing. You see, part of being a follower of Christ is inclusion within his church, within his family. That's what Colossians 3 is about, about this unity, having peace within the body of Christ. And within that unity, within that motivation that we have is to serve and to use these passions in that context. And so within the body of Christ, here's the question for this category. As you participate in God's family, what godly people are calling out passions and abilities within you? This is part of the reason it's so important to serve. It's so important to be involved in community. And as people call things out in you, don't be the least bit surprised if they align with your passions. Now, sometimes you need to go through this to find out what you're not passionate about. There was a time when I was trying to figure out what exactly, what type of pastor I was going to be, and I spent some time as the chief ranger of the tree climbers program. I learned very quickly, as did the kids, I am not called or impassioned or gifted to work with children. Have you seen that movie, Kindergarten Cop? Remember that one? It's not a tumor, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sit down, shut up. That's what it's like when I work with kids. I just don't work with kids. Right? I'm not passionate for that. But I'll never forget the moment that I was actually still in business, and I went to do a sales call at an office, and I didn't even know this guy worked there, but it was a guy from the church I was attending who was attending a Sunday school class I was teaching. I go to his office to deliver a package that I had sold to the company, and we get talking, and he calls out my ability to teach. He starts, I don't even know this guy, but from his experience within this godly community, he just starts calling out, going, I think you're called for something more than what you're doing right now, Mark. I'll never forget where I was in that moment where he started calling that out as I was processing the path that God had for me to walk. And the third thing is this. The final thing is this. Is fruit. Spiritual fruitfulness. See, there are times when God is working through us and he will produce fruit for his kingdom purposes. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we're not just talking here about moments when things happen. There are people who are very driven and can make things happen. What we're talking about here is when things happen, these moments that have results that are beyond what we ever thought possible, maybe beyond what we thought possible in scale, bigger than we imagined, beyond what we thought was ever capable, such as when Jesus told the disciples, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. These were qualified, driven, experienced fishermen. They in their own power could catch some fish. But when they threw the nets on the other side and started hauling in what Jesus had prepared for them, they could not deny that was the Lord. I'm talking about moments that are bigger in scale than we ever imagined. And not just in quantity. Sometimes we get so stuck counting numbers. But sometimes it's bigger in impact than we ever imagined.
I also know of a pastor who was preaching on giving one Sunday. Everyone's favorite topic to show up and, oh, it's the giving Sunday. And he knew that. And he talked about it because he felt called to and it's the right thing to do in his time and in his church. But then afterwards, people kept coming to him saying, we got to train our ushers how to lead people to Christ. And he's like, why? He's like, I just asked him to hold up the bucket. He said, because people were coming up afterwards, ask them, how do I accept Christ? How do I, how do I let Jesus into my life? And he's like, I didn't even talk about that. It was a moment where Jesus took what was offered and bore fruit from it. Not because of his driven, empowered ability to preach, but because Jesus was using his offering and doing incredible things beyond what he could ever imagine. So the question of this category, what works of your hands do you believe the church and the world needs more of? Because God is blessing it as you move towards those things. Passions, godly people, and fruitfulness. And at the heart of that, where all three of those things converge, is your step of faith. That's where you'll find, where do I take that step of faith? But I offer you a word of caution. I've found that as I've walked with people over the years through this sort of a process, sometimes people find out that, you know what, two out of three ain't bad. Maybe two out of three is enough. Maybe it's enough to start pursuing something, to start investigating something. But I would never say it's enough for you to fully commit to something yet. Because two out of three ain't bad, but in this case, I would tell you that it's not enough. Because I have known people who have fruitfulness, and they have godly people calling things out in them, but they have no passion. And in such a case, it's just duty. They're just doing the job out of a sense of duty. And, and thank God in some sense that they're doing that. But God is essentially working in spite of them. And in those cases where they have fruitfulness and they have people but they have no passion, there's one of two things going on. Either they need to consider or reconsider their calling because they're not doing what God has called them to do. Or they need to go back to step one and two and examine how fully have they responded to their highest calling and their common calling because if they explore those and have those fully responded to, then God will perhaps give them the passion that's missing in their lives. But at a particular point in time, fruit in godly people is not enough. If you have fruitfulness and you have passion, but you have no godly people calling things out in you, quite often that can be an indication that you're dealing with a person who is driven who is making things happen under their own effort. And here's how you know if that's the case. They could even be having great things happening. The case will be that they're constantly frustrated that not more is happening. I have seen this. I have served under this. And I can tell you that this can be very damaging to a church, to a church's witness, and to the individual. When they do not have godly people encouraging and calling out what's happening within them. The third option is if you have passion and you have godly people calling things out in you, but you have no fruitfulness. You know what that is? You have a passion, you have a godly encourager, but you have no fruit. That's your mom, okay? That's your mom who's encouraging you. That's mom who's got little Johnny who loves soccer, so she signs him up for soccer, and she's cheering him on. You're doing great, honey, but he's just been in circles looking at clouds. There's no fruit. He never touched the ball. (laughs) That's what that one looks like. So, all that considered, once you see where and how God is moving in your life, you can then take that step of faith in these three areas. And once you get moving forward, you'll find that God will either confirm it 
or he will correct your path. But in either case, he will say to you, just keep walking. So what God-given passions do you have? Where are the godly people encouraging you to invest further? Where do you see the kingdom fruit that's being produced in your life? And when you consider all of those things, what step of faith do you need to take? Because peace is not necessarily a sign of God's will, but rather peace is to characterize the people of God's will. And when you are characterized by that, you'll be characterized by peace between God and man because you've responded to his highest calling. You'll be characterized by peace between you and others because you'll have responded to the common calling. And praise God if you find fulfillment of within yourself because you'll find peace as you serve Jesus faithfully as he has created you to do. There's no guarantee that you'll have peace as you begin this. It may even be possible that the chaos increases. When Nadine and I decided to start taking steps towards this particular season of our life, we actually increased our chaos. We had to sell our home, sell our possessions, leave our careers, uproot all three of our kids from their schools and their friends, and move to a new city to find new schools and homes and jobs and places to, to fellowship and worship. But in the midst of all of that, we had this tranquil state of soul within us that we were assured and we were content in Christ, whatever may come. Because we had that peace inside of us because we were walking according to God's calling upon our lives. So as I share that story with you, I just want to invite you, if you would all stand as we close. And as you stand, I encourage you just to, to bow your heads in reflection for a moment as well as I ask you this question. Where are you lacking that peace? There might be some people who are gathered here with us today on site or online who are lacking that peace between them and God. And if you know that you are not at peace with God, that you have not accepted His Son as your Savior, then you have an opportunity to respond to that highest calling and to accept Jesus' forgiveness for your sins when he died upon the cross and shed his blood to cover over your sins, to make the way, not just a way, to make the way to come to the Father and to be at peace between you and God. If you know that you do not have that peace in your life, you can take the opportunity right now online to click on that box and somebody can pray with you. You can even just acknowledge yourself here in the sanctuary to respond to that highest calling. There may be others here right now who you know that you're not at peace with others in your life. It may be within your home. It may be within the church. maybe within a, a workplace environment. Whether they are a follower of Christ or not, if you are, you have a common calling. And your common calling is to know how Jesus calls us to live and to love others that we're in relationship with. And you have a chance right now to acknowledge that, to respond to the common calling, and to be at peace, not just with God, but with others that he's called you into community with as well. And I know that there are others here with us as well. And you have that inner conflict, that turmoil that needs to be resolved as you know God has created you for something. And maybe you even know what it is as I did, but you just haven't taken the step. I invite you to respond to that specific calling that he has in your life. You know he's given you passions. You know he's given you people who are calling things out in you that you have opportunities. You see the fruitfulness, but you just need to take a step of faith. It's just one step. And I promise you that if you have seen the passions, the encouragement, and the fruitfulness, God will meet you in that step. Heavenly Father, 
as your people reflect upon these callings you place upon all of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would move in the midst of us, that even when we don't see how and where you're leading us, Lord, that, that, that others around us maybe could call those things out, that, that the spirit within us would, would shout loudly to point it out to us. Lord, we know that you work in our midst even when we don't feel it. We know that you can turn a life around when somebody responds to your highest calling, that you give us new purposes, and, and Lord, that you can make a way through the turmoil, through the pain, through the uncertainty, through the, the fear and the doubt that keeps us from taking those steps of faith. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would touch each heart, that you would change each life as we worship you and thank you, Lord, that you are the one who makes the way for us. Amen.